Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host. Will McFadden joining me again today is former Falcons fullback Ovi Mahaley. Ovi, it's been a minute. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Doing great. I'm a home alone, semi-home alone. Uh, got daddy-daughter uh, day today. My wife <laughs> is celebrating my 10-year-old's uh, birthday in Hawaii. because Oh, my God. What? They, they, they have to choose where they want to go, you know, have their very special you know, 10-year-old birthday. And my oldest chose she wanted to go see Hamilton in New York. To my <laughs> middle child one one up her said I want to go to Hawaii. Well, I said okay. I said wait 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 no ah fine go away whatever. I want to have middle child. You guys child got a syndrome. baller budget over there. Jeez, yeah, we're doing we're doing okay. I work hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went to like Sparkles for my tenth birthday or something. But uh, but uh, but maybe they have skating rinks in Hawaii. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Spark- <laughs> Sparkles is you know right on par. Just you know slightly under Hawaii, but you're close. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it goes Hawaii. It goes probably courtside seats, NBA finals, and then yeah. sparkles right right there. There you go. Um, <laughs> but third's not bad. Uh, so we're going to get into a bunch of draft conversation today. What else is new um, with the draft officially happening this week? You'll be hearing this on Monday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, first three rounds of the draft. Um, we've got some listener questions that we're going to get through and kind of really summarize, I think, a lot of the topics that have been occurring over the last two months um, surrounding the Falcons draft. So it'll be kind of our final thoughts um, before everything gets underway on Thursday. But before we get underway, let's hear from today's sponsor. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Keep track of all of the latest sports developments, including NBA playoff odds, fighting bets, and even next season's futures. And don't forget, guys, Major League Baseball is back as well. Go Braves. So who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Remember, guys, Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Ovi. Before we get to some of these questions uh, that got asked, I want to take a little trip down memory lane and talk to you about your own draft experience. Uh, I, I did a little research, not 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 too much research, right? I, I didn't not not not, not digging too too deep into Ovi Mahaley's past, but um, <laughs> fourth round pick in the 2003 NFL draft. Just just to give listeners kind of a frame of reference, Carson Palmer was the number one overall pick in that draft. Um, so, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's interesting. You know, because yep. I, I wasn't worried about who the first overall pick was. I knew it wasn't <laughs> going to be me. So I, I didn't keep track of that. I, I thought he was a draft uh, a year after me. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, so, so he was the number one overall pick. Uh, you were, of course, selected by the Ravens. The Ravens first pick in that draft. Do you know it? I do. I spent a lot of time with him. Mr. Kyle Bowler. No, he was the second first round pick. No, they had Suggs what, was and the you, first. Yep. Terrell Suggs. Oh, okay. They had two first round picks. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. Terrell Suggs. He had a long career in the league. He did great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
You you guys both did. Two two uh two stalwarts of of the Baltimore Ravens in this draft, but really what I found interesting was there were five fullbacks uh or four fullbacks. You were the fifth fullback taken in this draft. I mean, n- nothing speaks to how much the NFL has changed uh th- than that. Do you yeah. remember who the Falcons took in the fourth round at the fullback position instead I of you? Dis- distinctly because I kind of wanted to go Atlanta. Justin Griffin Yep. So I, I I went to, you know, the Combine, the Senior Bowl, or you know, I knew Justin, like all the kind of the fullbacks we kind of knew, knew of each other. B.J. Askew, Justin mm-hmm. Griffin, and uh, who else the other two taken? There was uh, a couple, you see their names, I'd know them, but yeah. like, I Hold was on, let me... livid. I was livid <laughs> I wasn't the first fullback taken because I was the number one fullback by USA Today and number one fullback the Senior Bowl and number one fullback Combine. And outside of the bench press, my vertical leap, my long jump, I mean, my, my broad jump, all that stuff was like, I was number one. Like, I was that dude. So I'm like, count my money. My agent, Todd France, is like, you might go second round, highest sec- second round, lowest, uh, you know, uh, mid-fourth round. I said, all right. I'm counting my second round signing bonus money. I already thinking about what harm <laughs> get. My Maserati, my Aston Martin. And every time they don't call me, my car is getting a little bit lower. I'm like, I might get a Navigator. I might get a Hyundai. I just want to get a car. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was happy. it was cool regardless of getting drafted eventually. Uh so so Jeremy Johnson was, yeah, was one of the fullbacks taking yeah, uh, the Bengals for a while. Yep, in the fourth round. And then Justin Fargus went in the third round to Oakland. I don't even know who that is Justin Fargus. That's <laughs> familiar. But I know Jeremy Johnson. Like he he did uh, pretty good. He blocked for I think it was either him or somebody blocked for Adrian Peterson. Did uh did all right. That's fullbacks yeah, I, we got to stick together. I, I remember him weirdly because it's Jeremy with an I, but I don't know why that, that it's just that name. When I saw it, it kind of, kind of rung a bell there, but you know, you, you talk about the the pre-draft process and how all the fullbacks were, you know, sticking together. And I've been to the combine and you kind of, you see the prospects all walking in clusters and, and that's really kind of when they get to know each other. And, and so I'm sure that as fullbacks, you all were, uh, were kind of hanging out, but what do you remember most about your pre-draft process? I remember being nerve wracking. I remember thinking at the uh, combine and the senior bowl, I was like, every single thing I do is being observed and, you know, picked apart and just uh, micromanaged. It, it, it just, I, I felt like if I sneeze the wrong way, I, oh, no, he's, he's not a good sneezer. He doesn't have a good, you know, continence. So I, I just felt like I, I couldn't say anything. So I was stressed out, dude. I was so stressed out until uh, I had a, uh, my mom had to like really put things in perspective and, and say, you know, I, I grew up in the church. She's like, put it in God's hands because you'll mess it up. If it's up to you, you'll mess it up. <laughs> He's like, let God put it in God's hands. He won't mess up. So knowing that, just relax. She also said, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to do my best. Let God handle Jesus take the wheel. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that helped me throughout the senior bowl and the combine and, and pro date. Cause before that, the first half of that, I was trying to just do me. And I was trying to, brunch it out and do this and be like perfect. And it's hard to be perfect. I mean, not mm-hmm. you, of course, like you're damn near perfect, but for <laughs> us regular people, it's hard <laughs> to be perfect. And I just remember being so nervous, but uh, at the same time, so excited that uh, a little kid from Charleston, South Carolina, who went to a private school or sometimes I was the only black guy on both sides of the a ball. And, you know, I'm, I'm playing against guys who shouldn't be playing football. They weren't going to college. And, you know, even Wake Forest, a small, you know, Division mm-hmm. One school, no one was looking at 
like me, I, I was at the point to where scouts were looking at me, at me as the best fullback in the draft. And I wanted to make sure they kept on looking at me that way. So a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of excitement, and a lot of I couldn't wait till it was over. So, you know, let the cards fall where they may and let the p- people choose me wherever they want to choose me. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you nailed the workouts. You were Jordan Davis before Jordan Davis. Um, but as you know, the, the combine is more than just the on-field workouts. It really is weirdly like the world's biggest interview, like job convention type of deal. So what were the meetings like with the teams? As you said, coming from Wake Forest, you know, you don't know how much the the coach may know about you. You don't know how much like the scouts obviously do their research and, and the teams know, but when they got you in these rooms, what were some of the questions that they asked? I found out later on talking to other guys that, a lot of the questions that I got um, were not asked other players. I got a lot of the, how much is your your heart into this? And are you a football guy? And, you know, because my parents were doctors and because we mm. were upper middle class family and, and because my dad's been OBGYN for like, you know, 20 plus years. And, you know, and I was a sports medicine major and I had a pre-med concentration. I took You had options. Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was cutting up cadavers uh, my senior year of college. <laughs> In the basement of the gym because I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps. So I got a lot of the, you know, do you love the game? Do you uh, bang your head in the locker room and bloody your nose? Or do you, uh, you know, see yourself doing this forever? Uh, and I lied and said, yes, I, I mean, I do love the game. But, you know, my, my coach, uh, my agent told me, don't fall for the okie doke and say, well, actually, yes, I do see myself having options. And I was thinking, about no, he said, right. go all in for the football thing. No, you know, forget medical school. No one likes that. All in for football. So I lied and, and, and did that, even though I had other, you know, interests. But I did and do love football. It just wasn't, unfortunately, like for other people, that's their only option. And I, I had options. So I got a lot of that, those questions. And I remember getting a lot of questions regarding um, uh, just um, my hands. Like, you know, I was like, Not I a Kenny Pickett like, treatment. Yeah, I was like, I can catch the ball. And you run routes? I was like, I can run routes. I was like, I I had yards. I had yak. I was catching <laughs> five-yard outs. I'm not going for you no know, go routes all day, but, you know, five-yard outs, I could do it just as good and better in a fullback. What I hated, what I hated, William, is when they get tailbacks, label them as fullbacks, and say, look at this guy. He's so great catching the ball. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. He's wonderful. I was like, He's also 225 pounds. He's not a real fullback. It's, yeah, how is he like, as a blocker? You can't, compare, you, can't, you can't compare me to him. Even like Justin Griffin, even. Justin Griffin is a, a smaller size yeah. fullback. And, uh, you know, great for Atlanta with Warwick Dunn and two little smaller guys that are shifty and quick and a lot of things on the outside. But as far as just hard nose between the tackles, moving grown men, I wasn't no one was doing it like I was doing. And so I, I hated when that question came up in the interviews about, you know, how confident are you at your receiving schools? I'm like, I'll cover you at your receiving skills. That's what I wanted to say, but <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, you know, I'm very confident, sir. I'm really excited about, you know, opportunity to show people that I can catch the ball, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, th- that question and the, uh, is your heart in a question? I got the most. Well, it's really interesting. I, I think uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is suffering from a little bit of, that the first question, you know, the is your heart in it? And it's solely because, you know, I, I've I've never obviously talked to him, so I, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But it seems like based on what I've read and, and some of the other people who have kind of followed this story a little more closely, that he almost is like you, has his aspirations for his post-playing career. Um, and I, I 
I can't remember specifically, but I think it's something in the media. Like he wants to, mm-hmm. you know, either get into broadcasting or, or get in and be an analyst or something like that. But he understands that football, his career, like that post career career doesn't happen unless he excels on the football field. Yeah. So, you know, a coach may say, well, why are you thinking about your career after football? You need to be thinking 100% about football 100% of the time. And that's just not how life works. I mean, it's so weird that, that when they're going through the draft process, it's like, you have to eat, sleep, breathe football. And then like when you're in the NFL, it's like, no, these are pros. You're a professional. You come in, you do your job and then you clock out and you go do whatever you want. Like after the good ones understand that the, the time that they're not in the facility is also impacting their abilities on the field. And, and so they do mold their lifestyle. But just because a kid wants to have a, a good professional career following his time on the field, that doesn't mean that he doesn't love the game of football. And that doesn't mean exactly. that his him caring about that and understanding that football is his path to get there. If he really does care about that after his post playing career, then he's going to give a shit about his playing career because he knows that to get yeah. there, this is the path you have to take. So, yeah, I, I don't understand why why teams do this, but, you know, teach their own. Before we move on to the, to the mailbag, though, I want to ask, did you have any meetings with the Falcons? And do you remember what those meetings were like? Because obviously they were in the market for a fullback. <sighs> they, they were. And that's why I was kind of surprised when um, it took Justin over me because I spoke to them and they uh, spoke very highly about, you know, needing a fullback, wanting a fullback and uh, and being excited about what they see on tape and what I did at the Senior Bowl. And so I was like, hey, ATL all day because my agent was from Atlanta and <laughs> my uh, first trip was to Atlanta with uh, Takeo Spikes. And he had a big old nice. loud Humber with the 26 inch rims and took me to, uh, you know, all the clubs, all the clubs. And we uh, <laughs> we threw ones and had fun. And I'm a senior in college. I'm like, well, this is the NFL life. I love Atlanta. I want to come here. And uh, I worked out in Atlanta, a whole um, pre-draft process. So I wanted to be with the Falcons. Mm-hmm. They didn't take me. I was a little, I was a little salty, and so I made sure that whenever Baltimore played Atlanta, that I I gave them a little little something extra to make sure they made the wrong choice. And and the funny thing was that um, Keith Brooking was the recipient of a lot of that extra that I gave. <laughs> and when the Falcons signed me for my my big big uh, deal, they said, "We saw what you did to our best linebacker over and over and <laughs> over again." And we said, "We got to have that guy on our team." I said, "Well, I'm glad." You know, y'all figured out after four years that uh, you know, I'm the right guy. But, you know, better late than never. How many of Keith's uh, like 15 broken noses were you personally <laughs> responsible for? Yeah, so many. I told him he's always bleeding. Why are you always bleeding, dude? Something like It looks tough. You know, I love, I'll wipe it mm-hmm. away. It looks tough in the pictures. I'm like, yeah, it does, but wipe it away. <laughs> but no, Keith, uh, awesome guy. You know, you know, great foundation, great person. But uh, he, he he's a nasty linebacker. It's just that I... um. A little bit nastier times, uh, and, and that's the mentality we all have to have. We all have, we all, we all think that we're God's gift to our position. We all think we're the best. You ask Richard Sherman, you ask, you know, Aaron Donald, you ask Obi Mahaley. I think I'm the best fullback ever in the history of fullbacks. Not the truth, oh, but you know, in my mind, I am. You gotta, you gotta think that way. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, I, yeah, I'm watching the NBA Finals and stuff, and the the fourth player coming off the bench. I mean, they don't go that deep in the playoffs, but you get my point. It's like that dude was the greatest player in his state coming yes. out of high school. It's like all yeah. of these guys are like, they've been hot shit their entire lives. Yes. And you've got to have that level of confidence um, because the guy across from you does. And so if you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not going to be delivering the how punishment. You, I, yeah, I, I'm just wondering, like, how do you guard like, you know, 
you're guarding Kobe, you're guarding LeBron, you're guarding Jordan. Like, how do you even fix your your face or your feet to guard all those guys if you don't like psych yourself out and say, "Hey, I'm just as good as Jordan." You're not. I'm just as good as LeBron. You're not. I'm just as good as right. KD. You might be, but you're probably not. But you have to let you psych. That's what I was doing when I was um blocking Ray Lewis and blocking Michael Strahan, mm-hmm. like as a second, third, fourth year guy in, in the NFL in Baltimore, trying to make a name for myself. I was terrified of these names I watched when I was in high school. And I'm like, I can't block this guy. It's like freaking Indomitian Sue. Like, I, I, that, that's Michael freaking Strahan. But I go up there <laughs> like I, I was hot shit. I was like, you know, I'm over my hell. You better know my name. <laughs> you didn't know my name. We didn't care. Even though I met Mike um, a couple years ago at a Super Bowl event, real nice. And I told him uh, who I was. He's like, yeah, he was at uh, Nigeria in a fool. Like, yeah, that was me. He knows, <laughs> he knows me. Uh, but yeah, it, that, you have to have that mentality you know, pre-draft and post-draft, you want to survive in the league. That's a great segue, your your point about, you know, the intensity of the blocking and just how difficult it can be. The guys you went up against, I mean, you went up against Hall of Famers and and you, yes. had, to, you had to take them on. It's a perfect segue right into our mailbag today because the very first question um, that, that we got really relates to your experience um, being in the trenches. And, you know, what are the traits that gave you as a blocker, but then, you know, just in general, offensive linemen, tight ends, things like that, the most trouble uh, in terms of a defensive lineman? Like, what what did you hate going up against the most? Was it these guys that were quick and agile and get around you? Was it a 350-pound, you know, player who could just, if you're taking him one-on-one, like, that's a scary proposition? What type mm. of player was it? It was uh, definitely the agile guys. Um, I Because... I, whether you're a pulling guard or a pulling Ovi, uh, you know, or a fullback, you, you you want your target to stay in, you know, your your zone, to stay within those crosshairs so you can line it up, load up, and then smack the living crap out of it. When your target's like a little fly and buzzing around, <laughs> and you're trying to start and stop and start and stop, you lose your momentum, you cause a pileup, the tailback's trying to go, and you're trying to, you know, get your legs all steady so you don't get tripped up yourself or miss the block all, all completely because when you whiff, it's the worst. It's the worst. You'd rather you know, slow down and chop your feet and at least just get your hands on him than go full speed and whiff. So those guys, linebackers, D- defensive ends, who can just move, who can just go, who can stop on a dime like Dwight Freeney and, and who can mm-hmm. do those spin moves, whether it's run blocking or pass blocking, it makes life living hell. I'd rather take you know, a, a big fat, you know, Kendrell Bell or Takeo Spikes or, you know, uh, Brian, uh, what's that? Uh, Jeremiah Trotter, like those yeah. big, thick necked, you know, heavy handed <laughs> <laughs> linebackers that I knew they ain't going to make a move. I'm going to get up underneath them. I'm going to go, you know, mano mano, and we're going to make it work. Or if they're like 300 pounds plus, I'm cutting them knees or them thighs, and, and mm. we're both going to go down, but. Tailback will see there's a pile here. I can go to the left. I can go to the right. I'm not going to sit here and have you just blow me up. Yeah, so you can you can chop a tree down is what exactly. you're saying. Yeah. Oh, exactly. They hated think, it, but, you know, it's it's <laughs> part of the game. That's, you, hey, man, you're, you're going to be sore on Monday anyway. Might, might exactly. as well, you know, get, get a few more bruises. But I think the best, like, way for fans maybe to visualize what you're talking about is a player like Deion Jones. Early on before... When the Falcons were kind of right out in front of 
are at the start of this kind of defensive movement, especially at the linebacker position with undersized guys, but they value the speed, they value that agility and that sideline to sideline range. Deion Jones was so effective at that because a lot of the offensive linemen he was going against just couldn't get to him. They couldn't reach yep. him. When they were climbing to that second level, Dion was already past where, they, where that kind of point of attack marker was for them. And the team that gave the Falcons a lot of trouble kind of during that first little run in, in 2016, 2017, were the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's because their offensive line was smaller and more athletic. Jason mm-hmm. Kelsey was personally oh responsible for really kind of negating Deion Jones in a lot of their games. It's the reason in 2016, I mean, the, the Eagles put it on the Falcons and everybody was kind of like, whoa, what, what happened here? Because they were starting to heat up. And then the same thing the next year in, in the playoffs. So it, it's a very good example of how for most of the teams, unless you've got that type of offensive player who can match another player's kind of speed and agility, it, it's going to be a nightmare for, for a lot of teams because the, the players can just move around the field faster than you can kind of account for them. So when looking at this draft, would that make you maybe rate a player like Devontae Wyatt, the defensive tackle out of Georgia, who's a little bit more reminiscent of Grady Jarrett's game, kind of a, a quicker, smaller, can really get laterally and up the field in a blink of an eye, or you know Jordan Davis, who is 350 pounds and, and a mountain in the middle. Yes, he's incredibly athletic as well. So maybe not the best example, but it sounds like you're saying you would rather take on Jordan Davis, know your challenge, and have a plan to attack than somebody who can jitterbug around you at all times. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, you're right. Jordan Davis is a terrible example because he's both. He's one of the few <laughs> people who actually is big as a tank and can move like, you know, a, a butterfly. He, he, he's yeah. so athletic and so explosive. I hope he drops down to us. I hope we get him. <laughs> I, I, we we got to go defensive and ru- edge rusher or defensive tackle. I'm more about the edge rusher. Uh, but, but yeah, no, that, that's how it was. Like, I, I, I just want somebody to stay still and let me hit them. I don't want somebody to move all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm right there with you with Jordan Davis. I mean, he's, he's my, the dude that I'm in love with in this draft. I, I just think that he, especially given kind of the weird feelings, it seems like are between Grady Jarrett and the team right now. Uh, obviously we all hope that Grady's here for the long haul. If he's not though, I have seen plenty of defenses Elodie Nada is a great example where this 3-4 thing can work if you have that dude right there in the middle and it just frees up everybody else. But you look at Vince Wilfork, you look at Casey Hampton, all of these different players who were just parts of legendary defenses, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of unlocked the whole defense because of that guy kind of anchoring right there in the middle. Dean Pease knows a lot about 3-4 defenses. So it, it makes sense, but maybe it makes a little too much sense. I don't know. Um, I was listening to Chris Long's podcast uh, yesterday and he had Jeff Fisher on Um, and Jeff Fisher was explaining how when he was coaching, a lot of times he could tell how hard a team was going to be to beat or to play based on their defensive line. Is that true? And given that the Falcons are going to be in a position to maybe take a few different um, positions here at number eight. Do you think there are certain position groups that have a greater impact on the totality of the team's mentality than others? And how would you maybe stack those positions? Um, I think you're right. I think, I mean, obviously the, the quarterback first, uh, the defensive line I would come right after the quarterback. The quarterback, I think, has the, the most, uh, you know, the ability to scare not just the opposing uh, side of the ball, but the whole team because of his ability mm-hmm. 
control the ball, to control the clock, to have the IQ, to you know, to strike fear. And <laughs> you know, the game's never over. This quarterback can bring us back. But the Aaron defensive Rogers. line, yeah. yeah, exactly. Defensive line, same thing. They can have you know that Aaron Donald, you know that you know John Abraham, that 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 defensive end that you know is getting you know 15, 20, 22 sacks a, a year because he's unstoppable. And when you have that. He negates the quarterback. I don't care how good your quarterback is. He can't do anything if he's on his back. Hence the New York Giants against Tom Brady. As great mm-hmm. as Tom Brady was, everyone was afraid of the New York Giants because that position group, you know, forget the linebackers, forget the uh, uh, defensive backs. If the guys up front, just those four without pressure, can put pressure on a quarterback, mm-hmm. you got a nightmare. All game, you have, it's going to be a long day because there's no answer for five guys not being able to block four. Yeah, and it's it is something where because the back end is so tied to the front end, you can either try to have a, an absolutely shut down secondary that forces the quarterback to hold onto the ball a little bit longer to maybe make up for a lesser pass rush group to get home. You build then a couple of seconds there or half seconds that the quarterback just has to pat the ball and gives them more of an opportunity or like you said, you could just get four guys where you don't have to bring any extra pressure. You don't have to do anything. You know that they're going to be able to win their matchups. You got a guy who can beat double teams. You got three other guys who can just win one-on-one. And then the quarterback doesn't have any time to find the receivers. And so maybe you make up for a, a subpar secondary or something like that with just a vicious attacking front four. And the Falcons just have not had that in so long. Nope. And it's so interesting then that like people who know football really well will say, yeah, your defensive line kind of sets the mentality and the vibe the for the whole team. It's the tone setting group. Yep. So, uh, you and, know, how, and, why has that it, been such an issue then for Atlanta? I don't know. Like, dude, look, back in the day when we had Jonathan Babineau and John Abraham, we yep. knew those two guys were going to handle their shit. Those two guys <laughs> were going to be dependable. Those two guys would make it happen on third down when we needed. And it wasn't, you know, a question. We had other teams. I remember I see them in the offseason. We in Vegas, like, dang, man. We saw Babs and Abraham, you know, getting hot. It, it was it was game over. We were just like, air, just shaking our heads. Like, we, we already know it's going to be game over once those two guys get in their zone and they start working off each other. Unstoppable. We haven't had that in the longest time. I mean, we had a little bit with Vic Beasley. I'm trying to think who's next. That year Vic Beasley was good. Who was the other defensive lineman that, that showed up for us? Uh, I mean, Dwight Freeney was was on the team. He he didn't really. Right, he was on the team. He was in a little bit more of a, a situational role. But Grady yeah. hadn't Grady hadn't become Grady yet. Uh, no. it, it, I mean, it really was Vic Beasley. It was, it <laughs> it was. Vic Beasley get getting lucky, as we now find out. Uh, <laughs> or or maybe he was just you know great for one season. He got like some magic dust that made him amazing. Because I've never seen such a faster fall from grace than Vic Beasley <laughs> from the Super yeah. Bowl. We all apologize to Vic Beasley. I was doing um. Uh, TV and radio, I had to publicly apologize to Vic Beasley. I think everyone did because we were calling him a bust. We were calling him this and that. And then he came and showed us all. And wasn't he like, he got some some award. Um, he had rookie. No, he didn't get rookie of the year. He got, um, it was, he got some type of award because he did <laughs> really, really good. And uh, got us to the Super Bowl. And then proceeded to disappear. But yeah, uh, but yeah we, we need something, you know, like that or better uh, for the Falcons to be contenders and again not this year do i think we're going to be contending but we need to start using our draft picks and picking the right people so we can build some something great 
Yeah, and I mean, the Falcons have had historically good defensive lines. I mean, it hasn't been recent, but before that, you had Patrick Kearney, you had yeah. guys like Brady Smith, you had, um, obviously, Chuck Smith. Uh, you know, you had a bunch of different guys who were really good at their their craft. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would love to see the Falcons kind of get back to that. So talking about the pass rush, the defensive ends, and, you know, the Falcons wanting to kind of reclaim that, how familiar are you with Florida State's uh, Jermaine Johnson? Because we got a few questions about him. It seems like he is uh, an edge rusher who is really kind of climbing these last couple of weeks as we get mm-hmm. right into the draft. It's easy to see why. I went back and rewatched him after watching him the first time around. And I think I was just looking for him to be a different player. I think I was looking at him more as like a Julius Peppers, a Brian Burns, like that type of just uber athletic coming off the edge, screaming like insane flexibility. And he's not. Uh, when I watched him again the second time, I was just impressed with the type of player he is, which is in- incredibly powerful, really long, able to keep guys off of his body, converts his speed to power and power to speed really well. I think he's a very kind of well-rounded defensive end who can play the run exceptionally well. So I, I mean, all of those things would be great to have in Atlanta. Like, what do you think of Jermaine Johnson? Because it seems like he could be there and be the maybe best edge rusher, depending on how you have your board stacked when the Falcons are on the clock at number eight. I think Jermaine Johnson would be great uh, for us. Uh, uh, frankly, uh, unfortunately, I'm not too picky at this point. I, I want them to pick <laughs> the best defensive edge rusher that's available when it's their turn to pick. And, you know, Jermaine Johnson is somebody who can give the Falcons what we needed for so long. We just spoke about it. We need to have people scared of our defensive line, our defensive edge. And because the way they call plays, they call it like... <laughs> Not getting any pressure from the Falcons. We don't have to worry <laughs> about third down. We don't have to leave a running back in to chip the edge. Our guys can handle their guys because their guys are soft. Soft has been used for us too many years in a row when it comes to our team in general and to our you know O line and D line. Offensive line, they're trying to get you know a little nastier. I saw a couple flashes last year; it was great. But our you know our defense as a whole and our defensive line outside of, outside of Grady is um, you know. Kind of, kind of laughable, and it's, it's unfortunate. But this guy would make people stop laughing because, you know, I've watched some of his film and I've seen him hit people right in the mouth. I've seen him, you know, oh, yeah. get, get a little nasty. And, and we need that that edge, not 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 that Tack McKinley edge where you talk a lot, but you got to be able to talk and back it up, you know. And God bless Tack, you know, great great guy, nice guy. He uh, he see, gave so much effort. I like I will always yeah. I will defend at least Tack's effort the production was not there and, and no. for reasons you know you gotta move on and obviously the way he departed atlanta was was less than ideal but interesting the, the dude when he showed up to training camp and legitimately looked like he was yeah. gonna be in the next avengers movie i was yes. like what the heck dude? he was like all he won energy. me over yeah he won me over because it was like he understood that was going to be his make or break year and he took it seriously that offseason to to make sure he was in position to make it and uh, unfortunately he didn't but, no, he didn't. Uh, is he playing now? What team was he in, in last year? Yeah, he was with uh, Cleveland. I, I, I'm not sure if he's there yet again, but it was, it was in a little bit of a rotational pass rush role. Okay, good for him. Uh, n- he's nice always guy, but... still among the very, like, he's among the league's best every year in, like, pass rush win rate. Is but he? it's just, he never, yeah, he just never yeah. gets home. But he's always, like, fifth. And it's, like, Miles Garrett, like, you know, TJ Watt, and then it's, like, Tackles like in the fourth. top five of something. <laughs> wow, I I, I, I like, yeah, know. In, Good for individual him. win rate, but like 
he just it it's never not gets great. Home. It's not there. Um, no. Yeah. So yeah. we we need somebody who can you know, have the whole package. We need, we need somebody who can get home, who can you know they don't have to, they don't have to talk big, but you know they need to play big. And we need to see production because at the end of the day, uh, we don't get points for trying. How do you feel about you know trading back? I guess it's it's always tough to talk about like hypothetically because there's there's so many factors that come into play. Obviously, it depends on how the first seven picks go. If if you like four guys, if you think this is like a five man draft and there are five elite players kind of in the first round, and all five of those guys are still there on the board, then yeah, maybe you entertain moving back. If you think this is an incredibly deep draft, maybe you entertain moving back. But I don't. I think I'm kind of more uh, uh, along the lines and of the mind that the Falcons need as many just like really good players as yep. they can get, and getting somebody in the top ten is different than getting two or three guys in the second round. Like you, you need some alphas on this team. Yeah. And so I think I'm a little bit more in favor in this draft, just kind of sticking at eight, getting the guy that you think is, is going to be the most maybe impactful dude for your franchise for hopefully the next decade, as opposed to sliding back to 17, grabbing, you know, a, a second round pick and then a second round pick next year. Like just go get an elite player. But where do you fall for this? I mean, you mentioned it. I hate to be right on the fence, but um, it's regarding do they have somebody who's going to be a difference maker, going to be a game changer. If they have a Kyle Pitts on the board, you know, at number eight, then we got to take that Kyle Pitts if it's a defensive player. I I, I don't want to take – I've heard this talk about we should get another offensive lineman. Hell no. Do not get another <laughs> offensive lineman. I will jump off my house, you know, roof and get another offensive lineman. Like, I don't want another stinky offensive lineman. Don't want it. We have a mobile quarterback. Hopefully, hope to God we don't trade up or get a quarterback in that number eight pick. I, we don't need that. We need to. We're not. Why? Why? Don't, build up don't the yeah. It. Build up the roster. Yes, before get, getting the quarterback. Don't get an offense tackle and don't get a quarterback, or you will. I'm going to lose all faith in Terry Fontenot if he gets a tackle or a quarterback or anything that's not a defensive player, specifically defensive line. Uh, we don't need that, so we can trade back um, if we don't want to win any games ever, but. You mentioned it. we need an alpha male. We want to, and we need to get some players that people are scared of. We have been talked about by all the talking heads, and you know I'm one of them, as one of the you know most barren deserts of talent in the NFL. We have a bunch of guy, nice guys. We have a bunch of guys. You know, every now and then one of these <laughs> we need guys, some dudes. We need some yeah, dudes. We have some dudes. And, and, and Cordero Patterson, you know, one of these guys sometimes becomes like a great guy, you know, and or a great dude. <laughs> But as far as like stars, like superstars that will take over a game, you know, Julio Jones is not walking through that door. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan's not walking through that door. Um, you know, Grady Jarrett's like the best we have on defense. And AJ, AJ Terrell, AJ of course. Terrell. You know? AJ, AJ, Terrell. AJ Terrell and Grady Jarrett, those are our two, you know, guys that are on posters. But on, on offense, like, who's on our poster now on offense? No running backs or, you know, tearing it's, it up. It's, it's Chris Lindstrom and Kyle Pitts. That's it. Oh, God. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Kyle Pitts. And that's it. You, Chris Lindstrom better not be on any posters. Like, nice guy. Um, I, I, I really, really hope that Terry Fontenot understands the assignments and goes out there and gets what we need, which is some defensive stars. Well, you know, not to go against you, but... Just oh, for the sake do. of just for the sake of this podcast popularity, I really hope that they do go get a quarterback at number eight because uh, we'll be breaking out the camera to watch you jump off off your house. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <it on> the <laughs> <internet>. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> oh, that's nice. They better um, not. God, they better not. They better not. William, Will. I, I don't think they will. No, I am. I I, this better not. Have, they, a court, why on God's green earth would you grab a quarterback when there is no one in this draft, in my personal point of view, that is going to be a game changer? You're going to get like a Daniel Jones who's going to be like, eh, he's not terrible. He's not right. great. He's yeah. not. You know, we don't want that guy. We don't want the you guy. You don't want to be in limbo. No, you don't we don't want, want to be in QB purgatory. San yeah. Fran or Green Bay, guys who are, are, are sitting, who are just like, eh, he might be good. He might not be good. I don't know. We need like a bona fide star. That's why they went after Deshaun Watson. And I appreciate them having the, the, the gazungas to go and <laughs> make a play like that. Like it wasn't the coolest, cleanest, best thing regarding Matt Ryan, but Arthur Blake was like, hey, Deshaun Watson, you know, we get that. We got something. We won't be good next year or the year after that, but you know, two, three, four years, we got a franchise quarterback. We need to either find one of those. We need to get either get Kyler Murray. We went after Deshaun Watson. Why would we not go after Kyler Murray? I think, you know, Kyler has similar type of, hey, I can be a franchise type quarterback and be good for years on, decade plus. So we got to find a quarterback in the draft like that or go get one in free agency. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's the most valuable part of having a quarterback in the first round as a rookie is that rookie contract. Why are you going to start that clock right now when you know that this a rookie quarterback is not going to turn this team around overnight? And if anything, it's more detrimental, I think, to have a rookie come into a situation where you're clearly still rebuilding and you are clearly still trying to stock the cabinet. So stock the cabinet first, then go get your quarterback. They don't need the cap relief because they're going to get a shit ton of cap relief next offseason anyway. So I'm all for this. Go build up the roster around your quarterback and then go find your guy, whether or not that means trading for one like Matthew Stafford. The Rams kind of had everything in place. They knew they were a quarterback away. They went and got their quarterback. They won the Super Bowl. I think we're going to see teams start being much more aggressive, um, trading in free agency, getting a veteran quarterback and trying to build up rosters around. And I, I think that's what the Falcons absolutely should do. Stick at number eight, go get your top defensive guy um, and call it a day. So Ovia, before we call it a day, do you have anything else for our listeners? No, I'm excited to go to the uh, official Falcons draft party uh, this Thursday and uh, see the reactions of the who's who and the Falcons organization when we pick <laughs> this number one pick or trade back or whatever the heck we do. So it's going to be interesting, and I will make sure that uh, I get all my reactions and uh, feedback on this podcast when we talk again. Ovi, I need you to, to pull Mr. Blank aside when you see him and uh, you know, let him know that my ticket got lost in the mail. <laughs> next year, uh, you know, I, I hope they reserve the overlook for, uh, for the podcast and that we, yes. uh, we'll, do it, we'll do it live. As they I have say. a secret microphone on, on my lapel, <laughs> and I'll record all the insider conversations. Oh, heck yeah. Undercover Ovi. What's up? There we go. There we um, go. Got to make hats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That will do it for today's uh, podcast. There's going to be plenty um, coming from our channels throughout the week as the draft is going on. We're finally here. We're going to see what the Falcons future looks like. Hopefully, hopefully um, we all like the shape it's taking, but it's not just about the first round, second, third round picks, extremely important. Um, the Falcons will have four on day two and then you know day three picks flush out the roster and sometime they turn into uh into star players like foyer luke and, and russell gage so yep. pay attention all throughout the draft we'll try to inform you guys on these prospects that you may not know as much as possible uh but as always today's 
uh, podcast was presented by Bet Online. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.